So as always, it's, it's really good to see you guys. I want to thank you all for the privilege and the joy of um, being able to come here and to um, <clears throat> share God's Word with you, um, to encourage you, uh, to uh, exhort you, to to lift you up and to try to help you in, in what it is that you're going through in your life right now. And no matter what it is you're going through in your life right now, um, it is definitely going to change uh, for the better or for the worse. And your life is going to go on. But God's Word is always going to be there for you. So no matter what kind of changes you go through in your life, please, if you don't hear anything else from anybody that anybody ever says here, hold fast to His Word. Amen. His promise is the only thing that is going to be a, a constant and an eternal stability in your life. Nothing else. Your emotions, your feelings, your experiences, uh, your family, your friends, your relationships with other people, your habits, your hobbies, your careers, your hair color, your eyesight, all of that is going to change. Oh, yeah. But God's Word does not. Amen. And that's what we need to um, cleave to. And so uh, I'm not sure how many of you... Um, are familiar uh, with the uh, book of Jude. Um, yeah, uh, if you look at the very beginning of it, it says in Jude 1, Jude, a bondservant, a slave, that word bondservant means slave, uh, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. All right, This is one of Jesus' brothers. And it says to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Uh, we're called, we're beloved, and we are kept. All, right? all of that is a part of God's grace, and all of that is a part of God's promise to you. He called you because He loved you, and He loves you because He is love, and He keeps you because He made a promise to you that He would. It's not about how... Uh, solid you are or how consistent you are it's about how consistent he is just always focus on that and it says may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you beloved uh, while i was making an effort to write you about our common salvation i felt the necessity to write you appealing to you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints okay so what he's saying is i was going to talk to you about the common salvation that we all enjoy but I felt it necessary to um, to appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith. And the entire book of Jude is very similar to Second Peter, uh, I think it's Second Peter three, uh, and both of those are addressing false teachers and false people in the church, uh, false people in the fold, uh, the, the wolves among sheep, if you will. And I, I really want to focus on one passage. He gives an example. I like to call it the unholy trinity. If you'll look down at verse, um, we'll start at verse 10. Or let's start at verse 8. In the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh. They reject authority. They revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. All right? So even Michael the archangel didn't go around rebuking the devil. I want y'all to hear that. All right? You got a lot of people telling you to rebuke the devil. The devil is not going to listen to you. All right? He's not going to listen to you. And if you think you've got some kind of swear power over him, I'm sorry, you don't. 
even Michael the archangel, what did he say? The Lord rebuke you. The only one that shuts him up is God himself. And we need to depend on God to do that and not us. All right? And so he said, but watch what it says in verse 10. But these men revile the things that they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. So he's giving us a warning about these people who rely on their natural instincts that are rebellious, um, that revile authority, etc., uh, etc. Et and then watch what he says in 11. Woe to them. All right? That word woe is like, um, it's, it's a cry of despair. It's a, it's a warning. It's a cry of despair. Woe unto them. Woe. Like, and, and it's not W-H-O-A like trying to stop a horse. It's like, oh, woe is me. There's a lot of pain and grief involved in this. And it should break our hearts to think about these people that he's talking about because they're dying and they're busting hell wide open. But what he says is this. He's going to talk about uh, the unholy trinity, if you will. He says, but these men revile the things which they do not understand. All right, so number one, they revile things they don't understand. So they have a lack of what? Knowledge. They, they, they despise the things that they do not understand. They revile them. They hate them. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Okay? So, you and I do not have a mind to understand God in His fullness. God has given us His Word so that we can know Him and so that we can understand Him and have a wisdom about our relationship with Him. But these men hate the things that they don't understand. They hate things that they cannot control with their own thoughts and with their own minds. Uh, And what he says is, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. For pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam, and they have perished in the rebellion of of Korah. Right, so... Uh, they go the way of Cain, they rush headlong into the era of Balaam, and they perish in rebe- the rebellion of Korah. Now, I'm going to leave the last two off tonight, the era of Balaam, um, and I am also going to leave off the rebellion of Korah. Those are two stories in the Old Testament that I would encourage you to pick up and read. Um, uh, Balaam was a, a priest, uh, and he was... Uh, hired by a king uh, named Balak to go and to curse the Israelites. I don't know if y'all remember that story or not. Do you remember Balaam and the talking donkey? Do y'all, in it? y'all read the story about the talking donkey? Okay, so that's that's Balaam. And what happens is, is Balaam knows he's not supposed to be going and doing what he's doing, but the king offered him a lot of money. And so for the for the riches, for the physical riches, he goes and, and opposes God and his people. Of course, he loses but he does so. And then Korah would be um, <clears throat> one of the uh, members of the tribe of Israel who raised up against Moses and tried to rebel against Moses and Aaron. Y'all remember the ground opened up and swallowed a bunch of people. Y'all remember that story. So so in all three of these instances, what does it say? It says they revile the things they do not understand. So there's a lack of knowledge there. There's a lack of wisdom. And what does it say next? It says... The things that they know by what? Instinct. Like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. So they follow their feelings. 
They follow their instinct, their natural instinct, the natural man. They put their trust in him. And what does it cause? Destruction every time. And so in all three of these cases, in the case of Cain, in the case of Balaam, and in the case of Korah, all three of these men are destroyed by God. And so the whole book of Jude, the whole focus of the book of Jude is to talk about um, the uh, these false people that come in among you and try to bring you down with them. And, and three of the examples that he gives in this would be what I call the unholy trinity, Cain and Balaam and Korah. And tonight what I would like to do is let's read that passage one more time. And then I want to go back. I want us to talk about the way of Cain tonight. The way of Cain. So again, <clears throat> what is the ty- what typifies these men, Cain and Balaam and Korah? Um, number one, uh, they revile. They despise the things that they cannot understand. They do not understand. And they follow their natural instincts unto destruction. Okay, So that's the two things that typify them. Now, why would I want to bring this up? Because each and every one of us in this room are very capable of falling into these paths. Uh, it's very easy for us to fall into these paths. Now, these men were all destroyed. Now, the thing for us to do is to recognize that there are things that we don't understand and recognize that we need to trust in someone bigger than us Amen. and not trust in our natural instincts, but trust in who? God. And how do we, how are you and I allowed to trust in God? What have we been given so that we can know God and trust Him? His Word. His Word and His Spirit dwells within us. So instead of trusting our natural instincts, we trust the Spirit of God. And remember, the Holy Spirit and our natural instincts are going to be at constant battle with one another. The things that the Spirit of God is telling me I need to do are usually the exact opposite of the things that I want to do. I mean, it's not, and it's going to be that way the rest of your life. The Christian walk doesn't get easier. It's simply that we learn to quit walking on our own and trusting in God. It doesn't get easier. The more that I follow him, the closer I walk to him, the more I recognize I'm not following him and not walking with him. You know, and it's a, there's a paradox there. And the natural man says, well, if I try a little harder, I'll get a little closer. Right? That's our natural instinct saying, well, I got to read more. I got to pray more. I got to, I got to go to church more. I got to do this. I got to do that. And God is saying, hey, it's not about trying it's about trusting. You trust Him. He did all the work, and we simply trust in what He's done. So we have to learn how to stop trusting in our natural instincts. And before we get into the life of Canaan and talk about it a little more, I just want to re- remind each and every one of you in this room, think of the low points in your life. And every one of those low points that you were in was because you were trusting in your natural reasoning. That's what got you there. And it was God in His grace that reached down and said, No, I love you too much to let you keep living that way. But what we're going to see in Cain's life tonight is there's going to be time, God's going to come to him and He's going to constantly warn Cain. He's going to constantly warn Cain. And Cain is going to constantly revile him, revile the things he doesn't understand, and push God away. And um, the, to me, the story is one of the saddest in the Bible. So let's turn to um, Genesis chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, 
Again, I do thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to share your truth and your love with the folks here. And I pray and know that because it's your word that there is something for each of us here. So give us ears to hear and and hearts and minds to understand. Give us the strength to lean not on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you and walk in your ways. So help us tonight, Lord, to hear from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 4, it says, we're going to, I'm going to read the text and then we'll walk back through it together. Okay. It says, now the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. <clears throat> but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. (coughs) When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you, and you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face, and I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Right, so we're going to go back through now. We're going to talk about this story and see what we can take out of it to help us to understand the way of Cain. And so uh, three things that I want you to, um, I usually don't do this. I usually don't do the little three points. And uh, But tonight I want you to listen for the three things that typified Cain. One, he does not hear God. He does not hear God. Now I'm, I'm going to use some alliteration so that we can remember it. Second, he does not heed God. And third, he doesn't have God. So he doesn't hear, he doesn't heed, and he doesn't have. Now remember, God is life. And if I turn my back on God, what am I turning my back on? And so what am I facing? Good. And God is light. And if I turn my back on Him, what am I facing? And God is love. If I turn my back on Him, and if God God is truth, and if I turn my back on Him, I'm facing lust. And so the further I walk away from God, the more dark, deadly, hateful, and destructive my life becomes. Now, there's a simple solution to that, isn't there? What is the simple little solution? If I turn, turn around, and what's that word called? 
repent, for the kingdom is at hand. That's what John the Baptist came preaching when Jesus was on the scene. Remember? It simply means to recognize that I'm going the way, wrong way and turn around. And at what point in my life can, am I, can I repent? Anytime. Anytime. All right? But remember that Paul tells us in his letters that repentance is a gift from God. And so if there's been a time in your life where God broke your heart and you recognized your sin and you turned away from it and turned his cross and found his forgiveness, it was because he granted you repentance. He gave you that gift, the, the gift of be, having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And the more we trust him and the more we turn to him and trust him, the more humble and contrite our lives become. The more we turn away from him, the more proud and boastful and self-righteous and self-sufficient uh, and we become. And so uh, we can see this in Cain's life. So it said the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived uh, and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Um, who, does anybody have a King James Bible? You, what does it say there? The man what? Um, the man, did it say the man knew his wife? No, at the very beginning. It said, now... Adam, the man, Adam knew, Eve's knew. Wife. yeah, that's that's what I thought. He knew his wife. Now that's that's an intimate knowledge between a man and a woman, and in Hebrew it's the word yada. Yeah, any Jersey folks, yada yada. All right. What I really mean in, in Yiddish or Hebrew, what it really means is I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Right. But in the Bible, that word is an intimate knowledge. And God, and when the word yada is used in the Bible, it is never used to saying that he knows your actions. Now, does God know your actions? Yes. Yeah, before you ever do them. But when it says that God knows someone, it's always talking about the person and not their actions. He knows us inside and out. And so that same word that, that represents the intimate relationship between a man and a woman... Uh, is also the same word that is used for who he foreknew he predestined. Y'all remember that in Romans chapter 8, right? For whom he foreknew, right? It's the same concept. He knew you before you were ever born. Remember what Jeremiah said? Before I was even formed in my mother's womb, God what? Knew me, all right? And so there's an intimate knowledge between God and his people, God and his children. It's a very intimate Thing. <clears throat> so she gives birth and to Cain, and she said, with the help of the Lord, I've gotten a child. Then she gave uh, birth to his brother Abel. Now, um, Abel became a keeper of flocks, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So what does that mean? What does it mean to say that Abel was a keeper of flocks? Shepherd. Shepherd. All right. And, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. farmer. All right. Is there anything wrong with being a farmer? Absolutely. No. Is there anything wrong with being a shepherd? No. no. All right. Nothing's wrong with either one of those. What are both of those? What do we use for the term for both of those? A shepherd or a farmer? What is that? Labor. Labor. It's their occupation. It's what they do for a living, right? right. A lot of time when you guys meet somebody, you say, "Hey, man, what you do?" You know, like that's really important to us as guys. Like, what is it that you do? What is your occupation? What do you do for a living? And remember, we've just gotten over what the curse. And what was a part of the curse on Adam? That from now on you're going to work the ground. You're going to till the ground and, and it's going to be tough and you're going to sweat and you're going to be miserable and you're going to work the ground until you turn back into dust and then you're going to become part of the dust again. And and, and it was kind of sad. And then on a sad note, 
but God gave us job. He gave us occupations. And, and I got news for you. When we get to heaven, uh, when we get inherit the new heavens and the new earth, we're all going to have things to do. It's not like we're just going to sit around on the clouds and play harps. and uh, Like it's going to be a new creation. We get to be a part of that. But before Adam fell, labor was a really good thing. Like you actually enjoyed getting up in the morning and going to work. Now it's not so much. That's just a part of the curse. But so not only is labor a part of the curse, but childbearing was a part of the curse too. Wasn't it? So immediately after the curse, now we're starting to see that God's plan, His uh, the the travail that He has placed upon the earth, is starting to play out. Right? Not only that, but the repercussions from Adam and Eve's sin is starting to play out. And you know, it's funny because God could have actually just struck Adam and Eve dead and just started over, couldn't He? But imagine, you know, Adam and Eve lived almost a thousand years. And they watched their kids and their grandkids and their great-great-grandkids and their great-great-great-great-great-grandkids and generation after generation. And what did they see in all of those kids? The effects of sin, right? You know, uh, I'm sure that if any of you in this room have uh, moms or dads or family members who was in drugs and alcohol, they see it play it out in your life. And what a way for God to put down on them, you know, to emphasize to them that uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever you sow. That's what you're going to reap. You know, and we, you see it playing out in your children's lives, don't you? And what a better way to get somebody's attention and, and teach them a lesson than to force them to watch their kids suffer with the same things that they did. And so that's going on with Adam and Eve. I mean, think about it. Adam, Cain and Abel, and what's going to happen? Murder, like right away. I mean, it's immediately going to happen. So these boys both have jobs. And it says, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought to the firstling of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, if you remember, in the garden, right after the curse... God set an example for Adam and Eve, did He not? What was the example? The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And so they were naked, and what did God cover them with? No, God did not cover them with things. Animal skin. That's exactly right. So God set a standard for them to that something has to die for what you've done. And so through the death of that animal, what did He do? He covered their nakedness. He covered their insufficiencies. That kind of sound familiar? Well, it's an echo of what the gospel is all about. Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, died on the cross, and through His death, we are now covered. Right? And so it's been the plan all along. But so He set this standard, and apparently, from what we read here, a part of true worship is to bring a offering to God. Here, God. Now, does God need anything that we have? Now, what is the point of the offerings? To represent Christ. It's a recognition that we're sinners and that we need somebody to pay for our sin. No doubt, that's true. But, but what's what's the point of what's the, God doesn't need like tithes and offerings. Like He doesn't need your money. You don't have to put money in offering plate at church. Isn't it like giving Him the best of everything it should be it's a recognition that everything we have does come from him but remember it's a form of worship because what are we doing we're giving up of ourselves and we're giving to him 
But more importantly, we're expressing our heart. It's, it, your love for God has to be more than a feeling. It's not a feeling. Love is in action. It's not an emotion. You put it in action. And so what are these boys doing? By bringing these sacrifices to God, they're showing God, this is what I think of you. How you read your Bible at night. How much you pay attention. And and the, y'all still get five a day? Is it, how, many, how many devos y'all get a day? Uh, yeah, and I can grind on you, can't it? Right? It can. Believe me, it can. I know, I'm sure it can. But... The, when you go to church and you're back there, listen, I do it all the time. I catch myself, you know, nodding. I stayed up too late watching something, stupid movie or something, and I'm sleepy at church. I mean, that happens to all of us. But I go to work every day, and uh, cutting corners in front of other people at work is not an expression of sacrifice, is it? It's not an expression of who I'm supposed to be. And so the things that we do towards God and neighbor... Is an expression of what's really going on in my heart. And so a sacrifice means giving up something that's important to you for something that's more important. And depending on how important the other something is, you'll sacrifice more, won't you? Right? And um, think about some of the things that we've poured our worship into in our life. See? And we would go to the far end and, you know... Uh, I, I used to say uh, there had been times in my life if only I ran after God like I ran after the world mm-hmm. with the same zeal and passion mm-hmm. right. right but the problem was the zeal and passion that was leading me towards the wor- world was what that natural instinct that leads to destruction you see and so both of these boys bring these offerings and and lo and behold God showed favoritism. Right? Can you believe that? God has no favors, does he? Right? But he did favor Abel's offering and he didn't favor Cain's. Because the heart is an expression of who we are. Or the heart expresses who we are. And if we are a child of God, then we will do things that are pleasing to our Father. If we're not, we're going to do things that's going to evoke his wrath and his judgment on us, you see? So God's love can be expressed in two ways, can it not? Is wrath an expression of God's love? Yes, because it shows that he is just. God's never going to let anybody slide. He can't. He's God. He's got to be true. And so I can have either side of his love. I can have his grace and mercy, or I can have his wrath and judgment. And if my heart is towards him, what am I going to receive? His grace and mercy. But watch now. I'm not receiving his grace and mercy because of what I'm doing, because then it wouldn't be grace, would it? It depends on him. But if I have his grace, my heart's going to express it, is it not? So he's divine, I'm the branch, and the fruit that comes out of me is going to be an expression that I'm connected to him. What kind of roots I have? Well, Abel has roots, and Cain has roots. 
And each one of them are going to express it in the fruits of their life. And every one of us in this room is the same way. So, But let's look at the difference in Cain and Abel. It says, Abel on his part brought the firstling of the flock and their fat portion, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now again, what does Cain do for a living? He's a farmer. Would bringing fruit be something that would be okay with God? Would that be acceptable with God? Now, a lot of people say, well, it's not a blood offering, right? It's a, there's no blood involved in it. But remember, there's offerings of first grain, first fruits, right? I mean, there's all kinds of... It, so, basically, if Cain's heart was in the right place, the fruit would have been a perfectly fine offering. But it would have been the first things. It would have been the first of the harvest. It didn't say... It just basically said... He, yeah, here's some fruit. Yeah, here's some fruit. All right. Abel brought the best that he had and the fattest sheep in the flock. And so again, the underlying concept here is that these boys are expressing their hearts towards God. And so basically, Abel is bringing the sacrifice because he wants to. No, can't say Cain brought his first. But what does it say? It says, what it's showing us is that Cain, Abel brought his offering because he wanted to please God. Cain brought it because he had to please God. There's a big difference in doing a job because you want to and because you have to. Right? For any of you guys in this room, go to your lady friend and say, well, it's your birthday, I have to take you out tonight. <laughs> See, see how that goes over. It's not going to go over well, is it? We got, we're supposed to do it because we want to, right? And if our heart is in the right place and our worship towards God is going to be because we want to, not because we have to. And that's Cain's problem here. He's doing it because he has to now. So I'm going to have to speed up because we never have enough time in this class. But it says... Abel brought the first thing the Lord had regard for Abel, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became angry and his countenance fell. So King James would say his face fell. Countenance said countenance. Who's got one that says his face fell? ESV? Yeah, yeah. ESV says his face fell. Now that don't mean that he had to get down on the ground and pick his face up off the ground. What does that mean? It means that you carry your heart in your face. Right? Yeah. You ever had somebody say, what's wrong? Well, how do they know that? Because your faith is showing that something is wrong. Okay. Now, some people are very good at covering that up. Nothing I find. And they smile. But eventually, eventually, it's going to come out in your facial expression. Right. So, his countenance felt. So, the Lord said, why are you angry? And why is your countenance falling? When I hear that, it reminds me of being a child and my grandfather coming to me and saying, So what's wrong with you? Why you got that ugly frown on your face? You know, why are you being ugly? That's what my grandparents used to say to me all the time. It didn't have anything to do with my genetics or my looks. It had the fact that I was acting ugly. But my grandparents would always say, Don't be ugly now. But my granddad would come in the room and say, Son, what's wrong with you? Why are you being ugly? It was, it was on my face that I was angry about something. All right. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it's desired for you, but you won't master it. So, in, in, in kid lingo, lingo, son, what's wrong with you? If you would just do what I told you, you would not be in trouble. You ever had a parent tell you that? If you'd have just did what I said, you wouldn't be in trouble. And that's what he said to him. What's wrong with you? Why is your face falling? Look what he says again. Why are you angry? Why is your face falling? He says, if you do well, will your countenance not be lifted up? Right? So what does that mean? If I'm doing the right things, my heart is going to have joy and I'm going to have a smile on my face. That's what he's saying to him. He said, if you'll just do the right thing, will you not have joy? So remember, who's the source of joy? God. God, what has Cain done? Turned his back on him. And it's showing in his actions. It's showing in his facial expressions. And it's very important to see that God is confronting him about this, isn't it? Like, Cain cannot deny that God has given him a chance to recognize he's doing wrong. He says, um, but sin is crouching at the door and it is desiring you. It's desired for you, but you must master it. So what he's saying is, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. And either it's going to control you, or you're going to control it. Now remember, if my heart is not in the right place towards God, who's going to win that battle? Sin, sin every time. I can't win on my own. I can't use my willpower to stop sinning. Because my natural instincts are drawn towards sin. The natural man receives not the things of God that are foolish since him. And Adam always goes to the fruit. Adam always turns his back on God and goes for the tree. And in the same way with me and you. And Eve too, y'all. But remember, she came out of Adam. When I say Adam, I'm talking about mankind. Alright? And so it says... So Cain told Abel his brother. Now, what did he tell him? I'm assuming he told him that God had been talking with him, right? But he said, And it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Right? So God warned him. He said, Cain, if you don't handle this, it's going to handle you. If you don't control it, it's going to control you. And what does Cain choose? He, can choose to allow, he chooses to allow sin to control him. And it ends up in him murdering his brother. That escalated pretty quickly, didn't it? Now, think about that murder. What is he saying in that murder? Remember, he's angry at who? God. God. So you know what he says? Oh, you want a sacrifice? I'll give you a sacrifice. I'll take something that's made in your image. Because it reminds me of you. How many of us in this room have self-destructed? Right? Destroying self is just like destroying your neighbor, isn't it? Right? There's a self-loathing. I remember a, a very dear relative telling me that they used to, when they were really bad on drugs, that they would stare in the mirror and say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Just self-loathing and hating himself. Why? Because you're created in the image of God, and when you turn your back on God and you're living in sin, then you're going to hate God and you're going to hate anything that reminds you of God. And what what reminded Cain of God? His smiling brother, who was full of joy. 
and peace and love. And remember, this plays out all through the Bible, doesn't it? All of those that follow God, what do all of those that don't follow God do? They constantly try to kill the one that follows God. So the first Adam always tries to kill the second Adam. So he says, um, Cain killed his brother. So the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Now, does he know where he is? Of course. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So where was Abel when he's asking Cain this? Yeah, listen, that applies to Old Testament people just as much as me and you. If you ask for the body, be present with the Lord. So when he died, his spirit went to be with the Lord. So he says, where's your brother? Now, is he asking that because he don't know where Abel is? He he, he didn't know where he put the body? No. He's asking him why. All right, so honesty is a chance to turn back to God, isn't it? It's a chance to repent. To be honest is a chance to turn around and tell the truth. And what did he say? I don't know. It's not my day to keep up with him. I'm not his babysitter. That's what he said. I'm not my brother's keeper. And in modern lingo, that's I'm not his babysitter. It's not my day to keep up with him. When in reality, he killed him and buried him in the ground. Then he said, what have you done? All right. He's asking him again, trying to get him confirmed. the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me out of the ground. Think of all of the people that you've hurt in your life. And think about their cries to God about what you've done to them. Right? So what is, Cain, what is Abel's blood screaming out of the ground? If you go to the book of Revelation, uh, it tells you about the martyrs under the throne. What are they saying? How long, God? How long before you're going to come and take vengeance on these people? Look what they did to us. You see? And so he's saying, uh, your, your brother's blood is screaming out of the ground to me. Now, in the book of Hebrews, Paul tells, well, whoever wrote Hebrews, I think it was Paul, but whoever wrote it said this. It said that the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. Why? Because the blood of Abel is crying out and saying what? Pay them for what they've done. And what is the blood of Jesus saying? It is paid. See how that works? And so he said, uh, what have you done? Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood, and from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you, and you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So no matter what you put in your hands to from now on, Cain, it's going to blow up in your face. You're never going to be productive. Everything that you try to do, everything that you try to do within your natural reasoning, the earth's going to spit it back at you, and you are not going to be successful, and you're going to be wind up wandering the earth for the rest of your life. You're going to be a wanderer. Right? Now, what was, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, it's God. He's he putting the justice on But he could have just killed him, couldn't he? Yeah. Right? He didn't. He let him walk it out. Now, this is what he said. Cain said to the Lord, now listen, he said, My punishment is greater than I bear. Behold, you have driven me this day away from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Let's listen to that again. Let me put some emphasis on some syllables here. Cain said, My punishment is too great to bear. You've driven me this day away from the face ground and your face I will be hidden and I will be a vagrant and I will be a wonder and whoever finds me will kill me. What has sin done to Cain? He's made himself sinner. It's all about him. 
when we turn our back on God, it's got to be about us because that's the only thing you got left. That's the only person you're walking with then. It's not about my poor brother that I've killed, and it's not about, oh God, I'm sorry. It's about me. This is not fair. That's not fair, God. You're not fair. And then it says, I'll, I'll finish up now because we got to finish. Whoever finds me will kill me. Now, even in all of this, God puts a mark on Cain and says nobody's to touch him. God is still being gracious to Cain. Right? Now, think about all of the times that God has tried to intervene. Well, not tried to intervene in life. He's intervened in Cain's life. And what has Cain's response been every time that God intervened in his life? Rejection. His natural instincts kicked in and he did what he wanted to do. He turned away from God and he trusted himself. And then one of the saddest lines in all of the Bible, verse uh, 16, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, the land of Nod is not like not some little fairy tale city. Like, you know, it sounds like something out of a nursery rhyme or something. The land of Nod. Maybe, you know, uh, who was that guy that Rip Van Winkle? Like, it sounded like the place Rip Van Winkle would go. But the word Nod means what? Did somebody got a note in their Bible? What does it mean? To not help. <laughs> it means to wander. It means wander. So he, he settled in the land of Nod. He spent the rest of his life wandering. But what did it say? He went out from the presence of the Lord. He walked away from God. So all of those times in his life, God reached out to him in grace and in mercy and in love and tried to show him compassion and tried to call him to repentance. And every time what he came to, no, 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 no. And what did it eventually lead to? He finally turned his back on God and walked away from him forever. It's, it's, it's sad. And that's the last time you hear of Cain in the Bible until Jude. And in Jude, he tells us that he was like a, a, a natural animal following his instincts. And that led him to destruction. So what is the way of Cain? Cain refuses to hear God. And how do we hear Him? Through His Word. He refused to hear Him. He refused to heed Him. He refused to trust God and to do what God commanded him to do. What God tells us to do is a command. If you don't do it, you are breaking His commands. So he refused to hear Him. He refused to heed Him. And finally what happened? He refused to have Him. And Cain's in hell. And any of us who refuse to follow God will be in the same place. It goes so much deeper than your addictions and the, the your finances and your family squabbles and your... The, and the sicknesses that you are harboring inside of your body, it gets so much deeper than all that. Because God's grace and His mercy is eternal, but so is His wrath and His judgment. So, let's stay away from the way of pain. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, thank You for this time together. Um, Help us to have hearts that love You. Uh, Help us to have hearts that are willing to uh, please You. Um, help us to see those areas of our lives where we're still um, refusing to trust you and following our natural instincts. Um, help us to trust your word and your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.